This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming back to Civilized Barking, the Athletics Browns Podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Jason Lloyd. We're going to talk some Browns, talk some schedule, talk some NFL, and who knows what we might get into. Jason, good morning. Good morning, Zach. So there's always a hangover. Uh, from the NFL draft. There's so much buildup. And three days of the draft is so long. It's way too long. I think anybody involved will tell you that. But you usually, you know, there's a short come down period and then it's back into uh, OTAs and there's a little player movement. And of course, all the fan bases are excited. And of course, everybody who knows the draft picks is excited to talk um, and, you know, create good headlines and good stories and whatever. And there's rookie minicamp. And this year, there's none of that. So it's it's the double layer of, hmm, what am I going to write? What am I going to do? Um, you know, I take the pulse every day of Browns fans through our comments section, through Twitter, through whatever other form of communications. They're excited. Um, you know, there's still the layer uh, layers and levels of uncertainty here with the whole NFL. But it's just strange because next week we'd be meeting in Berea to watch OTAs, which is not all that exciting, but it marks football, it marks progress, it marks actual spring. Instead, yesterday was snowing, and I'm just sitting here in my mom's basement crying, waiting to podcast with you. Can we talk about the snow? What is going on? <laughs> it's <laughs> freaking May. It's going to be Memorial Day, and I'm going to turn on the snowblower. Like, <laughs> so there's this golf course a mile from my house, uh, Turkey Foot, for those familiar. It's a pretty famous place. People come from all over. And in April, a tornado ripped right down the road that divides the two nines of Turkey Foot and killed about 170-some trees. Um, And then Saturday, which would have been May 9th, I believe, 1230 in the afternoon, I'm sitting at the traffic light right there at Turkey Foot. It's snowing sideways, but there's still people on the tee box. So, yeah, so pretty much this is the most bizarre two months of my life. So can we talk more about it or do you want to talk more football? The, the snow broke me last week. I looked out the window and I saw it snowing and yeah. I just thought, okay, that's it. I'm done. Good night. Yeah. I'm retiring. I, I will come back in 2021 and let's try this again. Right. So if people are listening to this, I'm assuming they've read about the schedule. Um, you know, it, it's everywhere. You know, before we dive into that, because I think it's one of those things and the NFL is just the master at this, where there's so much buildup, so much excitement, and then you see it and you're like, Hmm, of course, like everybody plays 16 games. Right. Um, just, you know, your thoughts on the NFL, just putting out the full schedule, the preseason schedule, um, basically saying, you know, before any of us know for sure that, Hey, in, right now we're going to go to training camp in July and we're going to play football in August. And on September 10th, we're kicking off the season. Yeah, I think it's easy to take that approach right now in May. I think everyone kind of probably believes in the back of their mind this may or may not happen in this order, and they certainly have time to pivot or cut this down or, or you know, whatever they have to do. You know, I, I think we've said it before on the show, the NFL has the luxury of watching baseball and the NBA and the NHL try and figure it out first. And we see what's going on in baseball with the taking a proposal to the Players Association and, and the NBA. There's sort of some back and forth jostling going on right now. So it's much more imperative to those guys. And, and the NFL, to me, it's a benefit right now to see the mistakes and the things that they get right in the other leagues. And then they can sort of adjust accordingly. But, yeah, I mean, in May, you might as well throw it out and, and say this is what we're planning. You know, I, I've said all along, I don't believe we're going to see any fans at all in any sport, any stadium any kind this year 
that's to, to me for football. It's that's really going to be strange to be, be in these cavernous stadiums. You know, in the NBA, they've talked about maybe slimming it down and going to practice facilities, or you know, in Vegas, they've got the smaller court. And you know, baseball, same thing, I guess, with the cavernous stadiums. But spring training sites are an option. But but for football, and you think about an empty eighty thousand seat stadium, and the the cadences and the and the calls and the audibles and everything else, it's going to be so easy to hear. It's a, it's, it's just, I mean, listen, I, I'm not saying anything that we haven't said a hundred times before, but it's a, it's a strange world that we're living in. But if the NFL wants to act as if business as usual right now, I, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. You know, I think I said on the podcast before, I thought it was very obtuse and arrogant of the NFL to continue on with business as usual back when this all first started. And then when we got to the draft, it was like, well, thank God that they did because, you know, at least we have something to, to talk about and, and to watch. So yeah, just, just move ahead with what you've got and they can pivot when it comes to that point, if necessary. I totally agree with, with most everything you said. It's just the difference is baseball, whether it's in a spring training facility or an empty progressive field or somewhere in between line them up and let's play too. Right. Right. Basketball. Um, you know, you would love to play at Staples center and at the queue and wherever, but you could play. Anywhere, there's 94 feet in a shot. That's clock. true. Yep. Uh, NFL training camps are completely different. You know, 200 people is the bare minimum because there's 90 players on the offseason roster. Every team has upwards of 20 coaches. So we're not to medical staff, scouts, operations, media, right, who's probably last um, and in, in a lot of ways is going to be, and that's fine. But training camp is the one time that you get to see them play football. And, you know, these facilities, and I mentioned this before, um, you know, the, the core of this, Jason, is we're all talking in circles. We have opinions, whether they're educated or not. You know, we're not the scientists. We're not the league commissioners. We're not the middlemen, which is the, in this case, local, state, county officials, right? Uh, NFL owners, operations people, medical staff. They're eventually going to have to make these decisions, but um, I was, I guess I, I surprise isn't the right word. The right word is escaping me. Uh, the NFL went through with the off season and even though it was different, it was without a hitch. Right. And it provided a welcome distraction to a lot of people. And the NFL gets a lot of eyeballs on almost everything they do. Um, releasing the schedule was a welcome distraction and three hours on TV. And as ridiculous as that is, they do it every year, quite frankly. Right. I mean, they have a pro bowl release show that people watch. Right. Um, <laughs> But to realistically think that in 31 cities that, you know, and only I think eight or nine teams still go anywhere, that in mid-July you can have these gatherings and, and you can have clearance to think that one player or one trainer or one coach doesn't have the chance to infect a, a large percentage of this training camp population. Uh, it just seems a little unrealistic to me. I'm a little uneasy with it and I'm not certain. So. They did build contingencies into the schedule. Weeks three and four can be whacked at any time. Uh, if there are going to be no fans, uh, and, and although I tend to agree with you, it's still an if. Uh, it doesn't really matter when you play. You could start in November and play through, right? I mean, it's all based around the date where for years and years and years they've been planning the Super Bowl in early February, right? Um, but if, if fans can't go to that, then, then everything changes. Um, I just – I don't know. Um, you know, the Browns are behind, put it this way, let, let's get back into the here and now. 
the Browns are behind because the Browns are new everything again. And they, they need this time a lot more than the New Orleans Saints need this time, right? A lot more than the Chicago Bears, for example, need this time. But I just, I just don't know um, that when July comes that there's going to be clearance for 200 people to gather and 90 people to play football every day. Is there a way, and the answer may be no, is there a way to cut that down, to cut that number down from 200 to get it down to 100? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think the answer is no. But whether I'm right or wrong, I'll tell you what's non-negotiable. Five weeks of training camp is non-negotiable, especially with no uh, spring work. Like you can't just say, okay, we couldn't get clearance on July 25th, but we got clearance on August 20th and the season's going to start September 10th. Like that's, that's not going to happen. These guys, they, it's such a violent game and they need the time to get there and and coaches need the time to, to mold everything. And so, you know, even though it would still be on TV and even though everybody would be excited for opening day, you know, even if they're tailgating in their own driveways instead of the Muni lot, right. That, that to me is what's not negotiable. There has to be, there doesn't have to be a full preseason uh, as far as the games you see, but there has to be a full training camp. And to me, like 200 is the minimum, honestly. I mean, there are 90 players. So, you know, if team has, if a team has already a 10 person training slash medical staff for their 53 man roster, that's more in training camp. And even if you tell a couple of those interns, well, you got to wait till next year, like, you know, taking care of these guys and their bodies, COVID or not, is is a peak. So maybe it's the media that gets kicked out. Maybe it's the team video crew that gets kicked out. Although now more than ever, these team social media accounts are, are going to be more important than ever. I mean, the number being tossed around, if no fans, Jason, is $100 million a team. Wow. If, if, it's, if it's empty stadiums. Now, NFL teams make more than that off TV, so they would survive. The other sports is why the push is what it is, right? Sure. But I just know, I, I don't think that that number is, that either of those numbers are very negotiable at all. And, I mean, you know, let's go back to last year, the way with how little, not just the Browns, but almost across the league, it became the, the new fad to not play guys in the preseason. And we saw the result. The first couple of weeks were awful. Uh, in, in terms of teams finding their rhythm and it, it just, it wasn't good football. So, and I understand beggars can't be choosers. I get it at this point, people will take anything, but I just wonder what the product is going to look like. Even in a best case scenario, I have to think these teams are not going to be sharp the first however many weeks of the season. Yeah. And, and you're right. That's always the case, but that is a, that is a big concern. Um, and that's a good bridge to the schedule. Because we know there's no certainties in the NFL, right? But you look at it and you think, oh, boy, the Browns open at the Ravens. That could be ugly. They come Lost. back on a short week. They play a rookie quarterback, and then they play the Redskins. So everybody expects 0-1 and, and then 2-1, and one, right? And yep. count me in that crowd. I'm not, I'm not trying to play contrarian here. I'm just saying, like, you know, when, when you are a team where everything is new and your schemes are new and you have new coaches and all of this stuff, um, nothing is certain. And, you know, even with that extra playoff spot, you slip too much. You leave yourself too much to do. It comes like last year's team. It left itself too much to do. And yes, they completely collapsed at the end. And they didn't have Miles Garrett. But um, yeah, I think you're looking at a scenario where um, 
you know, like the Saints aren't even doing a virtual offseason program outside of their rookies. Why? Because they don't need they don't need to. They're saying just be fresh mentally and physically whenever we get that call. You know, be ready to get on a plane or drive your car here that day in July, August, whenever it is. Whereas the Browns are like, hey, um, so-and-so that's new, meet your new teammates, meet your new coaches, meet your new yeah. trainers. Like, and we've done this dance before, obviously. That that Bengals game feels like a really pivotal swing game early. And I know it's only week two, and I don't want to over be, be overly dramatic about it. But, yeah, I, I mean, we all know what happened to Baltimore last year. I think everyone is <laughs> – Figures that was an anomaly given how the rest of the season played out. You threw out the stats last year with Baltimore's like in September at home. They never lose. And I understand this year is going to be like a year we've never seen before. But let's just call it a loss because the Browns always lose the opener and they almost always lose at Baltimore. And Baltimore almost never loses at home in September. Let's just call it 0-1. But right. that Cincinnati game, what you just said, coming back on a short week, it seems like that's an awfully big game because if you lose that, now here we go down the path that we were going down last year. Mm-hmm. And, and you're playing a rookie quarterback in his second start on, on, on national TV. Yep. You know, and, and everybody knows the Bengals are, I mean, shoot, the last time we saw the Browns, they were getting blown out by the Bengals, Yep. but the Bengals are dangerous because overall talent has not been their problem. Now the defense has, has just been really bad the last couple of years, but um, you know, I, I think a lot of people around the league, Beyond that, they chose Washington last year as the least talented team, top to bottom. You know, they were breaking in Dwayne Haskins, and now they have a coaching change, same deal. I mean, again, this is what a lot of the season comes down to. The Browns just don't melt with penalties, just get in and out of the huddle. Like, they're 2-1, and one, and now they're in a groove. You're going to Dallas at 2-1, and one, but now you've, you've had three games of experience to say, okay, you know, here, here's where we're starting to figure things out. Here's where we still need to get better and go from there. Now, a lot of that is dependent on the defense tackling someone, as I've been saying for months. But this offense, um, you know, if they get everybody on the same page and if you get the rookie comfortable enough to where he's not going to get the quarterback killed, the rookie at left tackle, obviously I'm speaking about Jedrick Wills, um, you know, there are gears this offense can hit when you look at it on paper that you, you wouldn't really expect any of those in September, regardless of opponent but you start talking about comfort level and timing and Nick Chubb getting going with that offensive line and a a coach that actually calls plays to get Nick Chubb going, right? He 298 carries last year was not enough, right? Now maybe in the long run, it'll be fine because you weren't winning the Super Bowl anyway, but all those things start coming together. And, you know, I I really like the pieces on this offense. Um, And two and one would be a lot of people um, making playoff plans, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we talked about it last year and, you know, I thought you did a really good job of pointing out to me early on last year. Hey, just take a look at those first few weeks. And I really looked at it and thought, man, they could go two and six. And we talked about that. What what if they go two and six and how disastrous that would be? And then we kind of laughed like, well, you know, that's probably worst case scenario. That's not. And, oh, my God, it happened. So when when I look at the first half this year, worst case scenario, I think realistically is probably four and four. And I would take that. I, I, I think if they're four and four going into the bye, based on what we saw last year, I don't think that's that's awful. I, easily they could be five and three. Uh, you know, you look at the three game stretch at Dallas, Indy, at Pittsburgh. They could lose all three of those if you if they steal one of those. 
you know, I, I think they're going to the end of the bye with a, with a winning record. But even at four and four, even in a worst case scenario, and and yes, it'll feel like the world is ending if they lose three in a row again. But I just feel like five hundred going into the break at least sets them up for not feeling like the season is lost. Like that, like that's what happened to them last year. And I think I wrote that last week was if they, if they could have got some of the Arizonas and Cincinnati's a little bit earlier in the season, I understand they lost those games, but if they get them a little bit earlier in the season, you know, maybe things look a little bit differently. Although I, I just think Freddie was so far in over his head, it, it maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but they could have gotten a little bit of rhythm and, and a little bit of an identity early on that was never able to develop last year because the schedule was just brutal at the start of the season this year, it feels a lot easier to me. It feels like they're easing into it a lot better than what they did last year. No, absolutely. Reasons for optimism, Jason. I mean, last year you went your first Monday night game in four years back home to play the Rams who were coming off the Super Bowl, right? You went from there on the road, Baltimore, and from there on the road across the country where you got blown up by the Niners who made the Super Bowl, right? So like Dallas is, is really good especially offensively. We're worried about the Browns defensively. Um, You know, I don't know that that game on Sunday at noon Dallas time is any tougher or even close to as tough as it was last year in that stretch, right? Right. Um, You know, the the good news about playing Baltimore early is win or lose, you get it out of the way. No one expects you to win that game, especially for the second year, right? So you go and you find out, like, that's the team that this thing runs through. So you go and you find out. And then – the game I circle, um, of course, the Browns have won in Heinz Field one time. One time. It was in 2003. <laughs> like, they've changed coaches 11 times and uniforms four times since that night. <laughs> that is stunning. So, Say that again for reinforcement. <laughs> well, they've I, done I might have, what? I, I might have I fudged the one number, but only by one. <laughs> they've won one time in Heinz Field. It was in 2003 on a Sunday night. William Green and Dalen McCutcheon were the heroes of that night. They have both been out of the league for 15 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) The coaches thing is stunning. That's stunning how many coaches they've been through since then. Well, that that was Butch Davis. So, since then, they've been through Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Pat Shermer, Rob Chudzinski, Mike Pettin, Hugh Jackson, um, Freddie Kitchens, and now on to here. And that doesn't include your two interims. Wow. I need a drink. No wonder it's <laughs> snowing in May. So I kind of blended the two things together there. On paper, and it changes quickly on paper because teams that have deficiencies try to fix them. And sometimes stats in terms of pass defense and rush offense gets skewed based on how you play late in the year or, or how good or bad your team is in certain areas, right? Teams have really good rush defenses numbers-wise that aren't really that good. They just they score a lot of points or they're – uh, winning so other teams have to throw anyway the schedule on paper in certain key areas does not seem as daunting but what the point i'm trying to make is for all this we want to talk about the browns being contenders and talk about the browns stabilizing things and making the playoffs a year from now we want to talk about how wide the gap is in the division between the two two of the best organizations in sports and two of the worst organizations in sports over the last two two decades when the Browns win at Pittsburgh, that's when you can start talking about the Browns being on the way up, right? That's that's completely that's a great fair. point. That's a great point. So when you know when that happens, we'll see. And that that game is right there, um, late October. Um, you know, it's a short bus trip over. It, it's 
not in the midst of some devastating stretch or off a short week or anything like that. So uh, I got to tell you too, with the schedule, I, I, and I know it can change and the Saturday is one. And, and if they're good, it takes care of itself, but to have only one 425 game and two national games, um, I was a little bit surprised. I was not shocked because historically teams that get the national bump and flop get punished for it. And, and they did, but I was surprised there wasn't at least one more on there. Yeah. I, I was surprised that they had a second. I thought they would just get the one Thursday game and that was it. I was surprised that they got the, the Monday game. Oh, really? uh, I, I just felt like the league, kind of what you said, the league felt like fool me once shame on yeah. you know whatever that stupid saying is <laughs> and and they gotta they gotta earn it now so i i as a writer i hate the night games i'm i'm fine not having right. night games they make for unbelievably long nights uh but i understand the, the excitement around it um but well just wait if there's no college football and these games are getting played on saturdays, saturdays. and friday nights all the time yeah yeah it, yeah who knows what this is gonna look like when it's over yeah what? no like that's the thing I, I tell people that all the time like i understand your fans and and i want nothing more than the browns to be relevant and competitive too like i would love to cover an nfl playoff game for like the third time in my career right but like what we what we root for is one o'clock games and your team not drafting to us, so you don't have to learn how to spell his last name. <laughs> like, like that, that's what we root for on the surface. There's yep. no doubt about it. <laughs> you want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium and zinc they all help you help hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day hydrant is backed by research the formula was developed by oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced efficient hydration there's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners the formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply you can save even more with a monthly subscription for 25 percent off your first order Go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code FOOTBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com, promo code FOOTBALL. Can, can you explain? I have a dumb question. I need you to explain something to me. Why do they? Why do teams get locked in on preseason games with teams that aren't anywhere near them? Like, I get, like, the whole Detroit-Cleveland thing makes a lot of sense, even Chicago. What is this? fascination with tampa why do they why does tampa and the browns keep showing up on each other's preseason schedule? so yeah so there is no explanation for the browns not playing detroit it's a bus trip it's simple they only play each other once every four years in the regular season it's stupid um what they had done is they had created travel partners within this and, and tampa plays every year in the preseason they play miami and jacksonville because it makes sense uh, the Browns travel partners were Detroit and Chicago and specifically Detroit where you don't even have to get on a plane right. or Chicago when you do. And it takes longer to load the plane than it does to get from Cleveland to Chicago. That's fine. Right. Um, I just think something happened. And when they switched partners, they made it the Browns in Tampa, Pittsburgh and Charlotte or Carolina were partners in that. And I think it's the same reason the flight is no longer than Cleveland to Chicago. Right. So I just think somewhere in the rotation, for whatever reason that's unbeknownst to me, Tampa and Cleveland got on there. And I think this year the Browns went and they said, we have a scrimmage deal with the Packers. We would like to play in Lambeau. 
and the NFL said okay, and they wanted to do Stefanski with the Browns and make that a national game. And so I think in that rotation, somebody somebody in the NFC North got switched, you know, Detroit and Cleveland got switched off of each other. And so Tampa and Cleveland stuck with travel partners because there was already a model for that. So you're right, it makes no sense. Um, it's fine for the Browns. You put you your two preseason road trips out of the way, and then you don't have to fly again. You know, you stay home, you, you keep everybody fresh. Yeah. Uh, playing an afternoon preseason game, a writer's delight, <laughs> you know, uh, in that third game against Minnesota. And even though that's a long week into a short week, it doesn't matter because your starters basically sit that whole week anyway. But yeah, I, I got no explanation for how Tampa became that other than there is a travel partner system. And I think when they had to trade out Detroit for one of those North games, uh, one being at the Browns request and one being done for TV, it just, it, it caused another travel partner switch somewhere else along the way. Good enough for me. I don't know. I just find it really strange. No, it is. And, and it, it's, it's completely silly. Like I looked at the schedule, what was a Thursday night? It came out and I know somebody that works for lions and I texted them on Friday morning. I was like, wait, what am I, what am I missing here? Like how are the Brown, you guys not playing the Browns? Like we, we are as flummoxed as you are was, was basically the response. Strange. So strange. Yeah. Um, it is. Um, you know, here's what's interesting too, Jason. And, and we, you know, this goes back to the discussion at the top. If there are no fans, everything changes. Obviously you still have the logistical challenges of traveling there. And, and there is a built-in advantage when you have, you know, 55 players and you don't have to move them by plane and put them in strange environments and, and whatever else. But all of a sudden, like games that are not easy, like at Jacksonville and back-to-back trips to New York, like all of a sudden those become a thousand times more winnable for the Browns if there's no fans there. Let's just be honest, right? Like Odell might thrive in the environment he's going to get back-to-back in New York where people are calling him every name in the book and he gets to play up the hype all week. But just from a general concept of the Browns going in there and running their offense, right? Like obviously what I'm trying to say is, that's kind of all things being equal, taking out, you know, getting ravaged by injuries. Those both feel like the kind of games that go from one or two point spreads, maybe to the home team to, Hey, if the Browns are, are just a competent team, like they can win these games. You know, you just touched on something about Vegas and I, I know you, you know, this stuff inside now and, and I don't. So how much do you think Vegas and lines I mean, you just kind of answered it, but if there's no, if there's no crowds, is this going to make, is it going to make, is it going to make it harder for Vegas to set the lines and could Vegas be in line to really take a pounding this year? Just because um, you know, I think they would adapt quickly. I, most of it, Jason is built on an algorithm and a model to where each team is assigned a ranking and the numbers go in and, you know, just the general rule from being on the outside is three points at home in the NFL. You know, right. some yeah. home advantages are better than others. Sometimes right. if you have a quarterback out or a key player out, it's it's obviously more. But, no, I, I think they would adapt quickly, but I certainly think that that would be a factor. I mean, these stadiums are big and they're loud, right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Ravens, I think, are like eight and a half or nine in week one, which makes sense to me because the Ravens – you know, even in that playoff game where they couldn't get in the end zone, they ran 96 plays. Usually an NFL offense that runs 96 plays scores 30, and the Ravens scored 30 all year long. Yeah. Um, you take out the crowd there, 
all of a sudden things are a lot easier, right? I just, they, they are. So that is something um, interesting to watch. No doubt is, is that would go on. I mean, I don't, I didn't watch the, the pay-per-view portion of it the other night, but I was watching UFC on Saturday when ESPN was doing the prelim fights and mostly, you know, I'm not, I'm far from a big UFC fan. I, I really like Stipe and I root for him obviously because of the Cleveland connection. Sure. But in the follow-up, more than one fighter said they adapted their, their style because they could hear the announcers talking strategy because no one was in the arena. Wow. And like you mentioned at the top, audibles, signals, hearing everything, going from hearing nothing, and you work on it all week. I mean, sometimes you show up at Berea, right, and it's a road game week, and they're blasting music. You can't even stand outside and talk on your phone. Yep. Right? Whereas now everybody's hearing. I mean, that's these guys have put in 100-hour weeks getting ready for that game. They take all this into account, some teams more than others. We can have that discussion later. But all of a sudden, you're playing, and you said these mammoth cavernous stadiums, and, you know, everybody can hear what quarterback is saying to receiver, what coach is saying to line judge, and what is being signaled in from the sideline. All that, that's a game changer, and that will take everyone, not just the Vegas line makers, a while to adapt. The Patriots aren't going to have to try nearly as hard to cheat. It's going to be right there in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a valid point. <laughs> I mean, it would just be strange. It, it, it would just be strange. And, and, you know, the level of play would still be fine because guys would adapt, and the NFL, believe me, will come up with either allowing them to play music or allowing teams to use their graphics and, and whatever to create some sort of energy, right? But they'll bring it because these guys are professionals and they'll do it. But it would be so, so, so strange because you're used to, even in not full stadiums, you're used to just that kind of natural energy. And with that not being, you know, if that's not there, <laughs> it will be completely different. What do you make of the back-to-back trips to New York? And in normal times, if it wasn't Christmas week, would they just stay? Uh, no, because the teams generally do that when it's multiple time zones. That's what they worry about is body clocks. So the Niners And they worry about getting them out of the New York clubs. They don't want them in the New York clubs all week. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> the, the Niners last year stayed in Youngstown, Ohio for a week, and then Bradenton, Florida for a week because they just didn't want to deal with the time zone adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know they would come right back. It, it's an hour and a half flight from Newark right. to Cleveland, and Newark Airport is what ten miles from the stadium. Not even that. So not even. Yeah, um, that that was really an interesting schedule quirk. I mean, that's two games where weather could be involved. Sure. Um, again, and the whole route for me and nobody else thing, like flying in and out of Newark or somewhere else in New York around Christmas time, can be an absolute nightmare. Um, the one game might not be announced until three weeks before, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday, which could mean flying on Christmas Day. So um, a lot a lot of uncertainty there. But no, for the Browns, it's just a weird quirk of where they'll have a hotel. They'll stay in the same hotel um, for both games, and they'll just happen to be there twice in six days. So um, that, that definitely was strange um, to see how that came out. And then we'll see if, you know, the one game gets moved to Saturday or – you know, 425, um, kind of how how that goes. Um, you know, the back half where the Browns also have to go to Nashville in December. You know, even if Tannehill flops, the Titans are going to be rugged. 
Um, you would think in that division they're going to be at least in it at that time. I mean, that's that's tough game. That's going to mm-hmm. be a physical football game. That's a team with an identity, right? Yep. Uh, you know, we saw what they did last time they were on the field together. And then the Titans went to the AFC Championship game. So, yeah, uh, the back half of the schedule to me, uh, and again, it all kind of works itself out in terms of challenges and, and how you handle things and, of course, staying healthy once it starts. But, um, yeah, the back half of the schedule says to me that the Browns are going to have some natural um, adaptations and acclimations to make, potentially some struggles given all the change. But they better figure it out because there's going to be no gimmies uh, on the back half. And then, of course, you close with Pittsburgh, which might be for a playoff spot and would be awesome. And it could be played in a foot of snow. Right. Or it could be five dollar football, third string quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, all of that. What did you ask me last week? How many co- how many Browns coaches got fired after playing Pittsburgh? And how many coaches? Yeah, yeah. That ended the season with the loss to Steelers and then got fired. It's like four of the last five coaches or something obnoxious. So, Kevin Stefanski, keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> Although, hopefully, we're not. Hopefully, we're not doing that again. <laughs> oh my God, in heaven! No, we're not doing that again. You would think, but here's the reality of the whole situation. Next year, make if they don't make it this year. Next year makes twenty years since the last playoff berth. Right. With only one winning season in between that. So that they can they can get things on track and get everybody all excited and start things right. And they might. I'm very impressed with how they've handled much of this offseason. And I'm very impressed with just the level of patience and class and being adults that Barry and Stefanski have shown. Low bar. I get it. Yep. However, what I'm trying to say is you, you we know how the Haslams are. And this is not a personal attack. This is facts. And there's eight years of track record to back it up and that whole 20 years thing comes creeping in and something goes wrong this year when they're supposed to be good and they're not we we know how this goes we know who will be on the clock a year from now and the answer is d all of the above yep and well that's a good segue are you in the prediction game what, what is your 16 game full season regular season if it plays out the way that we're looking at it now what's your browns prediction um i i am i am going to i'm in the seven or eight win range um I love the offensive potential. I think little things can make this team a lot better, give it chances to win more games. I need to see, and I understand I will eventually see from the defense once you actually see how they want to employ them things. But I I need to see this team from a maturity standpoint, from a collective professionalism standpoint, from an organization, as we just mentioned, top to bottom standpoint. They're going to need to have the winning, winning record and navigate the million little storms that an NFL season, even under normal circumstances, brings. Once I see that, then I'm on board. But until I see that, I cannot possibly pick them to have a winning record. Yeah, I'm I'm in that eight to nine win range. Uh, just my blind gullibility, I guess, takes me to nine. Um, but I, I, I think if, if they go eight and eight, I'm curious to see what the reaction will be. It's an improvement over last year. I, I just... I'm kind of like you. I just want to see him run as a functional franchise, act like adults in the room. And I thought we were going to get that last year. We got everything but that last year. Act like adults, get in and out of the huddles, use the timeouts appropriately, use your challenges appropriately, practice the plays Monday through Friday, and then run those plays on Sunday. If we can get it, just that, if, if they can just function like a high functioning NFL franchise, the wins, at least eight of them will take care of themselves. 
that would be the hope, right? <laughs> and, and and to me, that's obviously you would love them to win and win the division and crash the playoffs. And especially because of how young most of these core guys are really kind of set themselves up to make a real run, but relevant, competitive, respected, all of those things come after you stop majoring in the minor and dabbling in all the bullshit and having all these things. And you just weather those storms and you just show up and play every week and actually prove it. Right. I mean, I get it. I get, I get where the fan base is. I get people are fed up all the change, all the everything, right? They, they just have to prove it. Nobody gets anything in this league handed to them. The Browns have to go win games and have to set aside egos and agendas and completely selfish, brainless acts of which there were multiple in most weeks. They were multiple in every week, right? Yeah. Um, last year. So just play like a smart football team. And I, and I agree. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll win your share but it certainly gives you a much better chance than you gave yourself a year ago. Hey, real quick. I feel like we need to touch on this and you can wrap us up and get us out of here. I don't know if you saw it. I, I was on Twitter briefly yesterday and I saw Miles Garrett was trending and mm-hmm. I went, went to see why. Get, just put this in a bow on top, why the Browns would not trade Miles Garrett to the Seattle Seahawks. And can we just stop with the stupidity? Well, people are just bored. for like, <laughs> That's but, the explanation. Yeah. So look, guys, Miles Garrett is getting a mega extension and Khalil Mack got $80 million in guarantees and Khalil Mack, Miles Garrett has not proved anything in compared to what Khalil Mack got, but he's the sliding scale says he's getting at least that he is going to be here. He's going to be the face. He's going to have, he's one of the people that's going to have to deal with extra scrutiny from opponents, from officials, from outside observers, right? After what happened last year, but whether it's next month, or during the season or after the season, Miles Garrett is getting four minimum guaranteed years in the neighborhood of $80 million from the Browns. Um, that's part of the reason a lot of this cat money has still been set aside as they go forward. And they want Miles Garrett to be a game changing, dominating, top of the line, paid in the top 10 players in the NFL. And sometime, like I said, in the next month to nine months, that's going to happen. It's it, barring another meltdown. It's not even a question. So um, I don't know, Jason, if it's just finishing the details. I don't know if the Browns just want him to play a little more and show that he's past that um, before they put all those guarantees there, which is fine. He, he did that to himself, right? Um, sure. Yeah. But sometimes it's, it's at some point it is, a 98% guarantee that it's going to happen. And miles Garrett will be a Brown for a long time. Good there. He's not being traded to Seattle. Stop the nonsense. <laughs> Stop the stupidity. Like, and, and, and you know, I think Paul DeBodesta kind of touched on this over the whole Odell thing. Like they feel like they're close and mm-hmm. they're, they're in the mode of acquiring talent and retaining the talent that they have. It makes like the Odell thing. I could understand if they wanted to trade him and come out and explain why I get it. The Miles thing makes zero sense. Zero. I don't care if he what he did last year to my, to Mason Rudolph. Don't care. In this regard, you keep that guy and you pay him whatever he wants. He's exactly what you need on a defense. He's a game changer. It makes less than zero sense to trade him. It's stupid. I'm glad we addressed it. Put a nod on it and let's go. 
Yep. All right. So uh, we won't have podcasts all the time. When we have something to break down, we will. Still got some a uh, lot of coverage coming from from every angle, from me, from Tom Reed, from Jason. Um, that part's a challenge, but uh, we've got a couple good ideas, a couple things in the works. So thank you guys for reading, for listening. Subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. And, um, you know, we're kind of counting down. It's mid-May, so two and a half months to a semi-normal start. We'll see what happens. Stay healthy. Thanks again for all your support, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Civilized Parking.